apologized last night. My throat was really acting up, and I, I was afraid I was straining it. I, I seem to be able to talk okay in normal terms, uh, conversation, but when I'm speaking to a group, I tend to push it a little. And since it's already strained, it, uh, it irritates it, and then I start coughing. I don't, don't have anything. It's just that irritation. I don't know whether it's pollen or, or just uh, the remains of a cold or what, but I'll try to take it easy tonight, and maybe it'll hold up. <clears throat> I already feel a certain amount of distress there. Anyway, uh, let's get on with the book of John, chapter 12. Uh, I don't know that everybody heard this. Let me mention again that uh, I think I just told it here, but maybe those on the phone line didn't hear it, that uh, Tom Davis fell up in Michigan and uh, broke four ribs. And uh, he already has different health issues. So breaking his ribs is a very difficult and a painful thing. And often... He's on dialysis anyway, and, and uh, often with broken ribs, if you're not really careful, it can go into pneumonia pretty easily. So uh, he's trying to sit up as much as he can and not lay down all the time so that he can keep pneumonia away. But uh, it's painful, but it could also be serious. So if we would keep Tom in our prayers, I'm sure he and Linda would appreciate that very much. Anyway, into chapter 12 of John then. Then Emmanuel, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, uh, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. This is not a technical passage for the most part through here, going through the book of John, but there are some very startling events that occurred and it's not a question of can we understand technicalities. No, it's not about that. It's about belief. Do we really believe that Christ was capable of and did do these things and he's planning on doing them again? Uh, it, it's that level of belief that we're seeking for. And he did say... Uh, that he might not find much faith when he came to the earth. Will I find it is the question that was asked. So that implies that there will be very little, I think. So what we need to get, I think, out of this as much as anything is to review the things that Christ did, especially during this Passover time since it involves our sins, and to come to grips with our own faith, or lack thereof, and what we expect of Him. Because He says that the faithful, effective prayer of a righteous man avails much, and that the prayer of faith is what heals the sick. And Christ often told people, your faith was what caused you to be healed. Not just His power, but the faith that was there, the belief. So we can't or should not be stuck in the position of hoping against hope. Well, I, I hope he does something, or I wish he'd do something, or 
I know he can, but I don't think he will with me, or all the doubts that can come to our minds. We need to come to the point that when we pray to God, according to his will, we believe there will be a result. That's the kind of relationship we would have with him. He calls us his friends. We saw last night that he was very, very deeply emotionally troubled when he saw the grief that Lazarus' sisters were going through. So we know he cares for us very deeply, and we need to develop and work on that relationship to make sure that there is deep belief in him that causes us to think positively. Oh. Faith is required. Without faith, he says, it is impossible to please him. You cannot please God unless you have faith and trust and belief in him that he will do the things that he said he will do. Otherwise, it's dead hope. It doesn't mean anything. So if we can gain something from going through these accounts. How many of you have ever seen anybody resurrected from the dead? Nobody here, I see. Well, it's happened. It's literally happened. And he not only said he's done it in the past, but he's going to resurrect ultimately everybody that's ever lived. So it's no big trick for him. I mean, he made us in the first place out of dirt <laughs> so if we went back to dust and ashes is it any big deal to bring us back from the dirt that we were in the first place no where does the problem lie then our level of belief is where the problem lies not in his technical capacity to accomplish something but he wants to see that strong trust and belief that when we talk to him knowing his will how do you know his will? Well, you study examples like we're reading about right now and other scriptures which show that he wants to heal us. He wishes we prosper and be in health, as Paul even said of himself. So we know it's his will to heal, to help, to strengthen. And we know that our faith is increased when we read his word. He says that's how we gain faith is by reading his word reviewing these examples. It's hard to believe something if you've forgotten it. It's hard to have faith in something if you don't remember it. So we read his word frequently to remind us of the things that he has done and says that he will do. And that helps us to have a lively hope and a true faith in who he is and what he is planning on doing. We don't need to go th through life worried about God's attitude toward us in terms of our ultimate goal and purpose. If we're sinning, then we have a little something to worry about, yes. But what I mean is, we need to understand that God has a very positive attitude. He wants all people to be saved. He doesn't want to lose any. So he cares that much, and he's willing to bend over backward to do everything he can to help us. And that's why we cast all our care on him, because he cares for us.
So these examples are given to us to help build our faith and our trust. Verse 2, There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Here's a guy that had been dead, and he was sitting up there having dinner. you believe that? Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, pounds quite a bit of an herb, and anointed the feet of Emmanuel, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. No matter what you do, somebody's not going to like it. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? Did he really recognize who Christ was? Uh, Doesn't sound like it. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and carried what was put in the bag. So he was the treasurer, but he was also a thief. And he he didn't like to see money wasted because he wanted his share of it. Then said Emmanuel, let her alone. He's pretty straight talking sometimes. Leave the woman alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. So he says, this is in honor of what I'm about to go through shortly. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. There will always be poor people. There will always be the unfortunate. We do what we can to help wherever we can help. But Christ is the most important thing there is. And he wasn't going to be there very long. And he's not going to be there very long for us either if we stray from his ways. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. Word got around pretty quickly because Lazarus had just been raised up shortly before and uh, there was still a hubbub of excitement about that and they came not for Emmanuel's sake only but that they might see Lazarus also (laughs) whom he had raised from the dead I heard this story this guy was raised from the dead I want to go see him I want to prove this I got to see with my own eyes well there was the proof sitting at the table But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Not only put Christ to death for raising him up, but put Lazarus to death because he was a testament of who Christ was and what Christ was capable of doing. So kill him too while you're at it. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Emmanuel. See, they were being swayed, some of them, to think, you know, Christ is okay. Maybe he's not so bad after all. Maybe we should follow him. Well, the leaders didn't like that. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Emmanuel was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel, that comes in the name of the Eternal. And Emmanuel, Emmanuel, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon 
as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king comes <coughs> sitting on an ass's colt. He's quoting there from Zechariah 9, verse 9. Interestingly, Zechariah is very much an end-time prophecy. And that quote is from there. Now, it may very well be that we, as the daughter of Zion today, uh, are daughters of Zion, but he's going to select one daughter of Zion, not all, out of all the daughters, the fairest of them all, Proverbs 31. Uh, he's coming, and maybe this time, or that time back then, when he rode into Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey, it might have been the final fulfillment of that. But if you go back and read Zechariah 9 through that whole chapter, uh, the context is, is, is of the end time. So it makes me wonder if at some point uh, toward the end of these prophecies or once he's here, I don't know, that he may show humility and come into Jerusalem riding a donkey again. <laughs> uh, that's a possibility. <coughs> Since it is an end time book that that is written in. I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know and I don't know where it would fit at this point or you know why he would do it. But I guess there's that potential. But certainly, this was a fulfillment of it here when he came riding in just before he was taken to be killed. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Emmanuel was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. <coughs> I'm sure he had probably been over Psalm 22 and 23 and Isaiah 53 and all those scriptures about him. Many, many, many of them references to Christ uh, when he was walking the earth and when he'll be coming back. But they'd forgotten it, which is a point I made a little earlier. <laughs> he told them, but they forgot. You know how easy it is to forget? I'm going to make a confession to you. I've been trying to be very careful not to take any unleavened bread. And uh, normally I don't even go to restaurants or anything like that during the days of unleavened bread to, to remove myself from temptations or inadvertent things or whatever. <clears throat> but today I was at someone's place and they had some cookies there on a desk and it crossed my mind. Stay away from the cookies. You don't want a cookie today, that's for sure. So the, the, the mind wasn't completely non-functional. But then later on, we were working and going on about business, and they brought out some uh, open-faced sandwiches with tuna fish and jalapenos on them. Well, I immediately focused on the jalapenos and thought, I'd like to have some of that jalapeno. And I did. And about three hours later on the way home, it suddenly struck me there was bread under that. <laughs> that was an awful feeling. I don't... It's been, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years since I've knowingly done anything like that. Well, I was just stupid dunce. 
at that point, it took me three or four hours to to wake up to what I had done. And oh, my, my, my. I said a prayer right then. <coughs> and then I thought how easily that happened and how easily sin, vanity, pride, ego, whatever, can come into our minds before we even know it. And it's, it's things we're thinking we shouldn't be thinking, uh, which is actually worse than physical leavening. The physical leavening is only a type of the spiritual mental leavening that uh, that we're fighting to get out. Uh, but it still made me feel really bad. So, how easy it is to forget. That was the point I was leading to. Uh, here they had forgotten the things that he had said about himself, and then when they started seeing it happening, oh, that's what he told us. Now I remember. Uh, see why we need to read the Scriptures often? Because it's so easy to forget. And we should have God and the way we should be thinking and living and acting on our mind at all times because we're to bring every thought into captivity. So we need to be aware subconsciously or even semi-consciously at least, even though we're busy with things, that we're doing things the way God would do them. (coughs) Whatever it might be. But it's so easy to forget and be off the track one direction or another and not even know you're there. And suddenly you wake up and say, why, why am I thinking that? I shouldn't be thinking that. And then you have to straighten yourself out. Well, it's kind of what these guys went through. Oh, he told us that. I forgot. Christ comes back and says, why did you do this and this? Oh, I forgot. That'll sound real thin at that point of course you realize that we'll never be in that position don't you we're not going to face Christ with life or death on the table for him to make a judgment now there is a place in Daniel where it talks about putting the goats on the left and the sheep on the right and so on but he's talking there about people in the millennium or more properly probably the great white throne judgment where there will be a judgment made over a period of time whether you're a goat or a sheep. We'll never face that where we're sitting there before him and he'll put his finger up or down eternal life or lake of fire. You and I will never face that. Why won't we face that? Judgment is now on the house of God. He is deciding right now about you and me whether we'll be in his kingdom or not. When that first resurrection comes, you'll either rise off the ground because he has judged you worthy, or you'll stay on the ground or in the ground until the third resurrection. That judgment will have already been made. We need to be aware of that. He's judging you and me every day that goes by. And he will make a decision before he returns on who the 144,000 will be. And we'll either be in or we'll never get off the ground. So it's not going to be a matter of facing him at some point and and, uh, going over and us trying to apologize and trying to say have mercy you know we we need to be praying for that mercy now 
daily that he have forgiveness of our sins and mercy and help us to overcome so we don't have to whine and cry and mule around so much about our sins. Judgment is now on you and me. Anyway, uh, verse 17, The people therefore that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead bore record. There were many witnesses there. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. People get excited when miracles and signs and wonders begin to occur. That's why he says in Zechariah 3 there will be some here in the end time that catch the interest of the remnant people and it will help stir them to come because of the signs and wonders that God is going to do. That that catches your attention. Verse 19, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive you how you prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. we, We can't do anything. They're listening to him. They're watching what he's doing. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Emmanuel. Philip comes and tells Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Emmanuel. So they're, they're trying to get to him, trying to get to see him, trying to speak to him. And Emmanuel answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. So if you have a kernel of wheat, there's life in that. You plant it and water it. But when it sprouts, it uses up the energy, the food that is in that kernel of wheat (coughs) to cause the new shoot to have life. And... It just becomes then an empty kernel or a husk. There's nothing left of it. It gives itself up in order to produce a new plant to produce much more wheat. So he said his life was the same way. If he gave of himself and died, it would bring life to many. (coughs) He tells us to bring forth fruit. Our lives... By us dying daily, by sacrificing ourselves and serving others, should be used to help give life to other people. (coughs) So we, in that sense, are types of Christ. As he physically died to give life eternally, we are to die, that is, to our own desires, our own selfishness, put that aside and serve others that they might grow and that they might also produce. So that's a fruitful life, one that helps others, that that provides something. What good is a peach if it falls on the ground and rots? It's only good if someone plucks it and eats it and it gives them energy and life and helps them. And our life is worth nothing unless it is a help to others. That's what human life is all about. That's what God is all about. 
And he explains it more in verse 25. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. In other words, if we are a package unto ourselves and we just serve ourselves and we're all wrapped up in ourselves, we make a pretty small package. It doesn't benefit or help anybody. But if we give and serve and help and give our lives, our time, our energy, our attention to others, then that will help gain eternal life for us. God is a servant. Christ is a servant. And he wants us to be the same way. We are not that way generally by nature. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So, if we are to serve Christ, we are to follow him. We are to do the things he did. Well, we are reading about the things he did. He was here to help, to encourage, to resurrect, if you will. Uh, We are here to help, encourage, strengthen uh, one another in whatever ways we can. We kid one another sometimes, and maybe sometimes too much, but we need to be sure it's done in a right attitude of of love and and comradeship, not in being nasty, mean, or picky, in trying to dig at one another in a way that tears down as opposed to builds up. Uh, Kidding and joking around can build up and make us feel close, unless we do it to the point that it makes us feel further away then it's uh, being used to a wrong purpose now is my soul troubled and what shall I say father save me from this hour but for this cause came I to this hour so he he was conflicted inside his emotions were going every direction he says I I don't want to go through what I'm about to go through Uh, it's scary it's difficult and yet I know I'm here to go through it so he was he was going through an awful lot of emotion with a troubled soul <laughs> I know you could save me father but you know this is what I came here for so we got to go through it father glorify your name Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. See, the father was very positive about saving his son. And he's very positive about saving us. Uh, It's our own negative attitude that stands in our way. God doesn't have a negative attitude toward us. Sometimes he can't stand to look at us, but he wants us to change and to grow and to turn to him so that he can stand to look at us. It's, it's, the problem is us. It's not him. Verse 29, The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spoke to him. <laughs> there was a loud noise, obviously, but they didn't understand what was said. Emmanuel answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. God made this audible, and it was to point to what he was doing and about to do so that it might get their attention. 
it, there may not have been a cloud in the sky. It may have been perfectly clear, but it sounded like thunder. And then somebody said, well, it sounds like an angel talking to me. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Well, now, is that a contradiction? Is that an error to say that? The prince of the power of the air and the prince of this world is still around, isn't he? Oh, we deal with the results of Satan's presence every day that goes by. Well, he's still here because he was promised a certain amount of time. But what Christ had done in defeating him uh, when they had their battle after the 40, years, 40 days fast, and what he was about to do here by dying that man might be saved from sin is what casts Satan out. It's what deposes him. Because Satan's goal from Adam and Eve on down has been to destroy all mankind in whatever way he could. But Christ was about to die and his blood be shed for our sins so that we might be saved and live eternally. And that casts Satan out of the picture. So he's still around. He hasn't been fully deposed yet. But here Christ qualified and was about to, through his blood, to completely replace Satan as the ruler of this world. Christ has been coronated, in other words. He just has not yet uh, taken the throne. Satan's still on the throne of this earth. You better believe it. Look at what's going on all around the world. Is that the work of Christ or is that the work of Satan? <laughs> who's in charge? Who's, who's winning that battle right now? Well, Satan is, and Christ isn't even truly fighting him on it. He's just letting him have his way. When he comes back and binds him, then things are going to get peaceful in a hurry. But what he was going to go through here is that we're leading right up to that Passover. Uh, brought the victory over Satan. And I, <clears throat> if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. They won't go to Satan anymore, but he was about to be lifted up. says here, this he said, signifying what death he should die. Uh, he was going to be lifted up on the stake and nailed there and die there. And because of that crucifixion, uh, men would be drawn to him because he can save. He can forgive. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever. And how say you, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Well, how, if you're the Christ, how come you're going to die? Well, maybe they forgot too uh, what it said about him and what would happen. Him walking through the valley of the shadow of death and how he would be crucified there in Isaiah 30, 53 and so on. Uh, they'd remembered those scriptures and they might not have been asking these questions. Then Emmanuel said to them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. While he was there, he, he could tell them what to do, where to go. Now he tells us through his word, which is a mystery to most people. They don't understand this book at all. He's not here. Well, what do you see people walking in today? Light or darkness? 
Darkness has come over the whole earth, and man has no clue who God is. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spoke Emmanuel and departed, and did hide himself from them. He was uh, spending some time alone before what he was about to go through. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. We're in danger of that. We can read this. We can shut the book at the end of the day and go home. Or we can let these examples penetrate. We can think deeply about what he did for us and believe him and believe in him and on him and through him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and whom has the arm of the eternal been revealed? That's at the beginning of Isaiah 53, first verse. Uh, that chapter then goes on into all that Christ went through uh, in this situation. So Isaiah was speaking of this, and Christ brings it up right here, because it was a direct prophecy about him. Uh, in what he was about to go through. And these people didn't believe on him. So who's believed our report, Isaiah says? Well, we're reporting those same things. How many people are hearing it? How many people are listening? How many people care? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, they should, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. So God blinded people, so they could not hear. Why? Wouldn't it be better if they heard and understood? No, because he knew human nature being what it is, and Satan being here to influence that nature even worse, that most people, even if they did understand, would reject and then have to be destroyed. So he allowed them to be blind and taken and deceived so that he would not have to destroy them. When Satan is bound, then he'll teach them the truth, and they'll have a lot better chance of accepting it. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah must have seen a vision of some kind that reveals some of these things that he wrote in the book of Isaiah. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. So even some of the leaders of the Jews believed. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess or admit that they believed on him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So even though they did believe somewhat about him, they were more afraid of the Pharisees than they had faith in Christ. Their fear overcame what they did understand. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Bottom line. Emmanuel cried and said, He that believes on me believes not on me, but on him that sent me. So it really goes back not to just believing Christ, but the Father, since they are one. He that sees me sees him that sent me. We're just alike. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. 
And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. So he says, I'm, I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to look down upon. I'm here to give my blood, to give my life, and be resurrected that they might have life. Well, this idea that some churches get and ministers and people get that God is trying to get you. Uh, no, he's not trying to get you. He's trying to save you, uh, ultimately, and in his own time and way. Trying to save us right now. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We're, being, we're going to be judged by Christ's words. This book, <coughs> excuse me, contains his words. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. They discussed this, and he had his instructions and what he would do completely in mind. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. He had no doubt. He knew that doing what the Father says gives life. We doubt it sometimes, or we ignore it, so we can selfishly do what we want and think what we want. That's idolatry. But he knew what the Father wanted, and he set forth to do it. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said to me, so I speak. He said, these aren't my words. These come from the Father. And even the Jews looked to the Father in that sense, even though they didn't accept Christ. And today, they still look to the Father, but they won't accept Christ, except for the few that have turned Messianic, which isn't following Christ anyway. It's a false Protestant, Jewish Protestantism, basically. Well, we're within ten minutes, and I'm still on edge with my voice, so we'll stop just a little bit early. I made it longer than last night, at least. <laughs> so, we'll see you again at seven tomorrow, God willing, and... Thank you for coming. It's always a joy to be together. So we'll be dismissed.